1: When we think of visionaries, we don't often ascribe that insight to teenagers. But there is an interesting story that's come to light through the Missouri History Museum Teens Make History Project. A short version, a St. Louis high school student envisioned the arch on the St. Louis riverfront years before Eero famous structure was even on the drawing board. Eighty-five years ago, students at Central High were asked to look into the future. They did so with some degree of accuracy. With me in studio, Abdullah Brown L. has written about it in a Teens Make History research project. He's now a student at Amherst. Elizabeth Pickard is Director of Education and Interpretation for the Missouri History Museum and works closely with the Teens Make History program. Elizabeth and Abdullah, welcome. Nice to have you. Nice to be here. How's it going? It's going great. I want to talk to you a little bit about how you came upon this uh, story about this young
2: lady uh, 85 years ago. All right, so do you want the short version or the long version? Okay, so um, throughout high school, I worked with the Missouri History Museum Teens Make History program, and uh, we were doing research for an exhibit. Uh, It's supposed to come
0: out... Spring of
2: 2020. Right. So in spring of 2020, we were just researching about, um, you know, the origins behind the name Gateway to the West. So my former boss and I, Ellen Kuhn, we were reading a book about, you know, the history of the riverfront and we came across a story. It was just a little blurb on the page in the middle of the book about a girl named Geneva Abbott um, uh, who had the idea for an arch uh, on the riverfront. Uh, There was a quote. I have it here. Um, she quoted uh, Alfred Tennyson saying all experience is an arch where through gleams that untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever when I move. So with that, she had the idea to draw an arch on the riverfront. So I, you know, I thought that was really cool because that was obviously before Eero Saarinen thought of that too. So.
1: And that, again, 85 years ago. And there's a picture. Right. right. Where does the picture come from? Did she do it? Geneva do it?
2: She did. So it was definitely really interesting, uh, that story, too, because uh, uh, the yearbook that we originally had in the Library and Research Center, you know, the Missouri Historical Society's Research Center, that yearbook actually didn't have the picture in it. So the staff there, they were wonderful, and they were able to track down another original copy of the yearbook from the St. Louis Public Schools and were able to see that. And, you know, there it is. It's that same structure. You know, it, that's reminiscent of the arch that we have now. So, that was definitely really cool to see. It looked strikingly like it. Elizabeth. What did you make of all of this? These discoveries?
0: Oh well, this is exactly what we always hope for, of course, yeah. and. Um, Uh, We're so proud of the work that our Teens Make History exhibitors were doing. Uh, The whole idea behind this exhibit um, is to say what's in a name. What is the civic identity of St. Louis and how Mm -hmm. has it changed over time? And it was wonderful. One of the things we always hope for is for our guests, for our Teens Make History students, to make personal connections to history. And so we were thrilled to, to find this story of teenagers during the Great Depression, um, dreaming of what the future of St. Louis would be, and this was Geneva's incredible vision so of course we were very proud and Abdullah has always been a very thorough researcher so we were <laughs> really excited for him to find something because of course you can spend hours and hours and hours and not track down what you're looking for so he struck a pot of gold this time
1: abdallah p- part of the story also is the fact that there were other students right. who were looking ahead and they um, had some interesting ideas some of which were talked about years
2: later exactly so uh, throughout the yearbook they asked the students in general uh, just to so, you know there was it was a lot different than the yearbook that we had in high school. It was more of like a showcase for the students work through the year. And that year, you know, they just asked all the students, what do you envision the future of St. Louis being? And I thought, you know, personally, that was really inspiring because, you know, as Elizabeth said, they were in the midst of the Great Depression. So there was, you know, plenty of time, plenty of room for them to, you know, look down upon things, you know, or see the future as bleak. But they instead decided to be optimistic. So, you know, I kind of thought that reminded me of, you know, kind of a youth movement Today, and you know, never to discount the voices of the young, and you know, what they see might. Uh, you know, create for a better future, better St. Louis for us all. What were some of the things that they were forecasting? Um, So some of them, uh, you know, there were a lot of kids who drew pictures of, like, this, uh, what they expected the skyline to look like 100 years from now and um, a lot of, like, what they expected the neighborhoods. And, of course, there were a couple renderings of, like, Bush Stadium and things like that. But, um, you know, and some of it was just, you know, kids drawing uh, histories of, like, uh, different things in St. Louis and a lot of reports on like the research that they found too and you know different aspects of the history of St. Louis uh, it was uh, definitely uh,
1: Elizabeth uh, my understanding is they also were projecting kind of a Disneyland or a Disney world oh, on the riverfront which yeah. at one time was considered by Walt Disney himself as I understand it
2: Right, so that was another thing. There were a lot of a lot of visions people had for the riverfront. Um, I forgot exactly how many blocks were cleared out, but a pretty substantial uh, part of you know what's now downtown St. Louis, where the Arch grounds are, you know, that was a pretty thriving neighborhood. As actually, you know, the center of the fur trade in the U.S. from what I've seen in the research, and they cleared that all out, and you know, it was a struggle to decide what was going to be done with this land because um, they secured a good amount of federal federal appropriations, you know, they declared it an urban blight land. So, you know, a lot of people were, you know, struggling to figure out what to do with it. And it ended up being a parking lot for a while. And so they built the arch. So that was cool.
1: And so they did. Do we have any idea whether uh, whether Geneva Abbott um, ever reacted to the actual arch? She, she lived long enough to uh, to see that realized. Do we know?
2: Um, uh, I don't know. No. Yeah, uh that was definitely something, you know, thinking back upon it now that I should have looked into more, but I sadly don't know about that, but that would be something that'd be cool to follow up with. Mm-hmm.
1: Well she'd be well over a hundred years old now if, uh, right. if if she were
2: still alive. Yeah. Elizabeth, um and and your
1: part of the project, what did you learn about the kids of the 1930s vis-a-vis the kids of today. Abdullah indicated that they're a lot alike. Do you get that impression?
0: You know, I really do. I think that, I mean, there's sort of an old saying that everybody since Aristotle has been talking about kids today, Um, you know, and I I do think that there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of intellectual power there. Um, There's a lot of talent and skill, and and that's one of the best things about the Teens Make History program in my opinion, is that it brings the strength of those voices and of that vision and of that energy to the museum Mm. and says this is our community. This isn't just we have our community, and then there's some teens, it's it's really that they're an integral part to, to our future as well as to our past.
1: Tell us a little more about the Teens Make History program. How exactly does it work, and how do people get involved?
0: You bet. So Teens Make History is entering its 12th year in January. It'll turn 12 years old. It's a work-based learning program, and you enter the program through the Teens Make History Academy, and as it would happen, we're actually accepting applications. Uh, it's open to any high school student, uh, freshmen, sophomore, junior, or senior who would like to apply. You can find out more at mohistory.org. The application deadline is the 24th, um, and so if you're interested in the program, I do encourage you to go online and apply. It's a pretty short process. You go through an eight-week mini museum studies course called the Teens Make History Academy, and then at the end of those eight weeks, the, the students who are successful in that academy which looks at all different areas of museum work from exhibits to education to museum theater to marketing and communications they can then apply for paid apprenticeships and the paid apprenticeships are with either the teens make history exhibitors which was the team that abdullah was part of and they'll continue working on this exhibit what's in a name And then the Teens Make History players who research, write, and perform plays in the museum. Mm -hmm. And they can stay through graduation and high school.
1: So what is going to come of uh, Abdullah's project? Do you say 2020 is going to be... Uh, the unveiling, I guess. What What is that going to be all about?
0: Well, so there's two things. Actually, Abdullah wrote already for us a blog post on our blog, History Happens Here, so if people want to read his research, they can look that up on mohistory.org. Um, with, with,
1: with pictures, by the with way. With pictures, yeah. yeah, you
0: can see everything there. Mm-hmm. And um, And then uh, all of the teens, this is kind of an unusually long exhibit development process for the Teens Make History students. So they've started working on the exhibit narrative, which talks about this is what a a visitor will experience when they Mm -hmm. come in. These are the big questions that we have. These are the sort of issues that we'd like to talk about. And they'll work with our adult uh, design staff and our adult curators um, to figure out what objects, what images, Uh, they would like to put in they'll write the label copy and that will go up on the walls again spring of 2020.
1: And and for how long will it be on display?
0: I believe it's scheduled to be up right now for about six months.
2: Abdullah what got you into all of this? Um, You know, history was always my favorite subject since elementary school. And, you know, in high school, I wanted something meaningful to do. So uh, my mom told me about this program. Actually, I looked on the website uh, and, you know, I was definitely hooked from there. So I applied to go to the uh, academy. And I think that was uh, spring of 2015 or 2016, my sophomore year in high school. And from there, I've, you know, just stuck with the History Museum since. It's nice. Uh, I just got back in town actually, so that was one of the first places I had to stop again.
1: Thanksgiving break from uh, Amherst. Right? Uh, are, are you majoring in history at Amherst?
2: Uh, I think I'm going to do economics and political science, but I'm taking a lot of history classes.
0: Yeah.
1: What has uh, what have some of the other youngsters who have been involved with Elizabeth over the years gone on to do? Have they kind of pursued this theme in their lives?
0: We certainly have had students who came in knowing that they wanted to do history and are continuing to do history. But we're really proud of the program as a means of teaching job skills. So regardless of what you go on to do... We're teaching communication, collaboration, responsibility, um, how to work in a team, how to manage resources. They get an exhibit budget. They've got to make decisions um, so that whatever field they go into, they're set up to succeed. And so we've had students go on to do everything from um, being a site manager for Habitat to Humanity, to being—I uh, have one student who's about to graduate as a as a veterinarian. Um, we've had others who have decided to become actors, and and others who are pursuing work in history museums. So it really runs the gambit of uh, possible careers.
1: You're a recent alumnus of of all of this, uh, Abdullah. Right. Has it gotten to the point where it shaped your life in any way?
2: Oh, absolutely. So uh, in high school, we had to, you know, do a lot of research papers. So, you know, definitely my experience at the History Museum helped me when I was writing that term paper in high school and a lot of things like that. And one of the things the program really emphasizes is transferable job skills. So, you know, no matter what we do, uh, you know, we'll have like a solid foundation of, you know, how to behave in a workplace, that kind of thing. Um, And just over the summer, there's a lot of enrichment type programs that the program exposes us to so definitely I'd recommend to anyone you know even if uh, you don't exactly want to work in a museum or especially if you do work in want to work in a museum in the future to check out the program
1: by the way we'll put links uh, to your website and to this blog post by the way that uh, that Abdullah has been involved in uh, our website at stlpublicradio.org uh, Elizabeth how did all this get started whose brainchild was it
0: well, uh, we knew, uh, this is going back now to 2006. Um, I was a graduate research assistant. Um, I was in the museum studies program at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. And uh, we. Um, I was a graduate research assistant at uh, the Missouri History Museum. And at the time, there was some interest in looking at non-school hours programs. So how we knew we were reaching students through field trips, but how could we have a sort of more sustained relationship with students? And at the time, some new research was coming out by a woman named Shirley Brace Heath about how arts and humanities programs could be some of the most successful programs for teenagers in terms of strong positive outcomes, in terms of college uh, bound rates, in terms of employment rates. And so we started the program with four teens and the money from the docent budget for one semester in uh, January January of 2007, so it was me and four students, and it has steadily grown over time. Um, it's a creative youth development program, which, again, ties those job skills in with creative endeavors, like developing exhibits, like writing and researching plays. Um, and so I, at the time, it was, as I said, just me and uh, four students. And so I was with them every single day. Now I stop in a, a lot less. But I do still get to work with them. And it's one of the highlights of my professional day, no no question, when I get to work with the teens.
1: And how many young people have gone through the program over those years?
0: Oh, gosh. I think that we're up to about 80 80 graduates at this stage.
1: Let me go back to the to your uh, your story Abdullah if I may. What else did you learn about uh, those kids? We've talked about the arch and some of the other things. What else uh, struck you about these kids from the 30s?
2: You know, I definitely definitely talked about it a little bit, but, you know, just the fact that, you know, they were dreamers themselves, you know. You know, they were living through, you know, a tremendous area of a lot of hardship, and, you know, they still found reason to be optimistic. So that really stuck with me. You know, it's easy to look at the news today and become cynical, but, you know, it definitely was inspirational that they were able to say, this is what I want the future to look like. And, you know, definitely I think everyone in my generation, you know, we're working towards, you know, what we want our future to look like so we can draw from that
1: only about a minute left, was the yearbook from 1933? It was. Much like, much like the yearbook uh, when you graduated from high school?
2: Uh, you know, I just graduated in May, so uh, I've been looking over my yearbook a lot, and it's definitely not like uh, my yearbook. My friends and I, we all threw a lot of inside jokes in. There definitely wasn't as academic as theirs, but, you know, I do really like my yearbook, and I think that's something, you know, everyone can... Look back to being a high school graduates. So. Did, did the kids in '33 sign the yearbooks the way they do today? Uh, they did. I actually forgot to sign my yearbook. Um, on our last day of school, we have a field day, and we have a uh, we have a picnic lunch, and I spilled a little bit of barbecue sauce on that <laughs> page, so that kind of ruined that for me. But uh, that was cool.
1: Well. Um, it, it, it's a great project, and it's the uh, most interesting. We have a question here. Do, which arch do you prefer, the one of Geneva Abbott uh, or the one that we have down on the riverfront right now?
2: Um, I like both of them. I especially like the one that you know does, in fact, exist. So, uh, <laughs> uh, both of them are cool. <laughs> How
1: about you, Elizabeth?
0: Oh, gosh. I think that's a <laughs> terrible question to have to answer. Um I think the thing that I like the most is just that it was something that was clearly in the ether. It was in the zeitgeist. Yeah. It was something that seemed logical to her and seemed logical that much later. It was like it was meant to be.
1: Right. Well, I want to thank you both so much for being with us. Elizabeth Pickard, thank you for being with us. Good luck with your program. Thank you. Brown Brownell, thank you for being with us. Congratulations to you senior, for all you've accomplished so far. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.